Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. One seat gained, but another lost for Senate Democrats on Capitol Hill. We'll have more on Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema leaving the Democratic Party. The first openly gender-fluid official in the Biden administration is charged with theft again. The accusations are of stealing suitcases at two major airports. We examine the prisoner swap that freed WNBA star Brittany Griner with analysis from a retired Army colonel and former DOD cybersecurity director. The former CEO of Parler tells us what the release of part two of the Twitter files means. He says Twitter's actions might have cost lives in some cases and former President Trump's response to the latest revelations. And a nonprofit group has discovered two police outposts in the U.S. with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Why are they there and what are they doing? Just days after securing a Senate seat for Georgia, Democrats have lost a different member of their party. Arizona's Senator Kirsten Sinema says she's turning her back on the broken partisan system in Washington. NTD's Melina Weiskup has that story. First-term Senator Kirsten Sinema says she's declaring her independence from what she calls a broken partisan system in Washington. The Arizona Democrat is now registered as an Arizona independent. She first broke the news on Twitter with this video explaining to her constituents why she made this decision. Here's a look. I promised that I would always do what is right for the people of Arizona. And that's what I've done. Registering as an independent and showing up to work with the title of independent is a reflection of who I've always been. And it's a reflection of who Arizona is. And in Arizona, there are a large number of voters who are not registered in either party. As a matter of fact, there are more Arizona voters who are registered in the bracket of other than there are who are registered Democrats. So according to the latest data, there are about 1.4 million voters registered as other, while 1.2 million are registered as Democrats. That's along with 1.4 million registered Republicans. Now, some say they do believe that Senator Sinema made this decision in order to avoid a primary challenge in 2024 when she's up for re-election and the timing of this party switch is quite notable because it comes just days after Democrats secured a 51 seat majority in the Senate after Senator Warnock's win down in Georgia. But this decision uh, is highly unlikely to change the balance of power in the Senate. Senator Schumer this afternoon commented on uh, this uh, Sen Senator Sinema's decision here saying that he was informed ahead of time and that he approved uh, for her to keep the committee assignments that she already has. And uh, the White House also responded saying that they don't believe it will impact their relationship with Senator Sinema. Sinema will now make the third independent senator in the upper chamber. The other two are Bernie Sanders and Angus King, both of which caucus with Democrats. Cinema has also voted with uh, Democrats uh, over the past couple of years since she's been in office, but she's not afraid to buck the party. And she displayed this many times, for example, when she opposed uh, 
ending the filibuster, which is a rule that requires Democrats now to work with Republicans in order to get the 60 votes needed to pass most legislation. She was also one of the holdout votes um, to that delayed the passing of Biden's Build Back Better bill. So she says she will continue to vote the same way she always has and will continue to walk this middle line. But she says she does feel better now being able to show up to work without being tied to the name Democrat. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. Sam Brinton, an official in the Biden administration's energy department, is charged with theft for a second time. The first charge was in October for stealing a woman's luggage at an airport. Brinton is now accused of stealing another piece of luggage, this time from the Las Vegas International Airport. The official is reportedly charged with grand larceny and a federal warrant has been issued. The luggage is valued between $1,200 and $5,000. It's unclear when this second incident took place. In the first case, Brinton is accused of taking a woman's suitcase from the carousel at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport on September 16th. Brinton is part of the Energy Department's Office of Nuclear Energy and self-identifies as gender fluid. The department placed Brinton on leave last month after the first charge came out. At that time, Brinton said it was a mistake and blamed being tired. And Brittany Greiner is back in the U.S. after being released from Russian custody in a prisoner swap with convicted arms dealer Victor Boot. Earlier today, I spoke with Colonel John Mills for his analysis. He's a former director of cybersecurity policy with the Department of Defense and author of the book, The Nation Will Follow. Colonel John Mills, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. Now, Brittany Griner's free, which is great, but so is Merchant of Death Victor Boot. Critics say it's an unequal trade. What do you think this exchange says about the U.S.'s priorities right now? Well, we should always cheer when an American is released uh, from being held against their will in very questionable circumstances. So that's a good thing. Uh, was this an equitable trade? Not even close. And uh, this is... This shows the importance of having a president who understands the art of the deal and how to conduct a proper trade. This is not equivalent. We still have another American left behind, a Marine, uh, Mr. Whalen. Um, it's shocking and unbelievable that they would not ask uh, for him also. To give any moral equivalency to, to uh, Brittany and then Victor is uh, just sh stunning and flies in the face of history and what Victor uh, did. He very effectively, you know, it's very important for historical context to remember at, in the 90s, Russia was absolutely broke and on its knees. They had nothing. And Victor led the worldwide effort to essentially take all the, the, the huge mass of uh, Soviet-era small arms, uh, AK-47s, machine guns, mortars, RPGs, and sell them around the world. That was the only way they could make money. I'm not in any way uh, endorsing that or saying that's correct. This was the only way, this is one of the only ways they could make uh, any kind of uh, income during the 90s. So he was extremely important to the Russian. Victor did, but he, many died because of what Victor did. And so do you anticipate that handing him back to Russia could uh, impair the U.S.'s um, mission in the Ukraine. 
Yes, I think it's going to have worldwide impact because he has the expertise, the knowledge, even though he's been uh, in prison for, uh, he's been under U.S. control since about 2008. He has the knowledge. He created a mini, uh, I apologize for saying this, Air America, Air Russia, where he took a lot of old Russian planes and were flying these arms all over the world to support uh, those willing to pay for them. Uh, he knows how to do these things. Now he's back in their control. I think he's going to be a repeat offender. And we just handed uh, one to Putin after Joe Biden says he's really tough on Putin. He gives him one of his chief lieutenants right back. President Biden says that he couldn't get other Americans included in the prisoner swap. And as you mentioned, Paul Whelan is still captive in Russia. He's been there for almost four years. He had previously been offered in an exchange for boot. Uh, Waylon and his family say that while they don't begrudge Griner, they're also disappointed in the situation. What's your take on this? Well, if uh, Mr. Biden says he just couldn't make it happen, uh, I think he needs to go back and take uh, uh, another course in negotiations. Um, he's the president of the United States. He is sworn in as the president of the United States. Uh, we expect a little harder try. Um, he has a lot of tools in the toolkit where, uh, but again, he does not, and the Obama team clearly did not understand the art of the deal and how to handle these complex negotiations. It's just, uh, it's, just, it's a, it's a callousness and a lack of interest and a lack of care. Um, and say, I just couldn't get Mr. Whalen in this trade. I'll try harder, Mr. Biden. So what do you think he could have done? What would have worked? Uh, I think there's a lot of energy uh, deals that he could have uh, dealt, um, uh, been part of it. Uh, financial controls. Uh, we have a, we have so many sanctions you can't even count them on uh, on uh, on Russia. We could have talked about potentially lifting um, some of the some of the lightest and tangential um, uh, sanctions. Um, all, all sorts of things, because uh, uh, I mean, we we really uh, and and again, I'm not endorsing. I think I think Putin has clearly been the aggressor. Russia has clearly been the aggressor, but there is a lot of things that he could have handed back just nominally uh, that would have been very marginal and gotten Whalen back. So I I just I don't I apologize. I don't buy this that he couldn't do that. Um, they've shown. I mean, the the 2014 Obama trade with Bo Bergdahl was horrible and but there is this just happens continually the the obama biden team it's too hard it's too difficult we can't get americans back and uh uh president donald j trump showed it over and over again getting americans back was a priority and he would personally get involved and i think given uh, a second term i think he would have been uh, very likely been able to get uh, mr whalen back all right, Colonel John Mills, former DOD Director of Cybersecurity Policy and the author of The Nation Will Follow. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Stephanie. Always an honor to be uh, on your show. And Elon Musk has weighed in on the swap, tweeting today that you should never leave a Marine behind. Never. In a comment on another's tweet on the topic. Waylon has about 12 years left in his 16-year sentence. And after revealing the second part of the so-called Twitter files, Musk says Twitter even shadow banned political candidates. We hear from an expert who says Twitter's actions might have cost lives in some cases. 
On Thursday night, journalist Barry Weiss, with the support of CEO Elon Musk, revealed how Twitter employed so-called shadow banning to reduce the visibility of tweets from conservative users. Mark Meckler is the former interim CEO of social media company Parler and the president of Convention of States Action. He tells NTD that he thinks every conservative experienced Twitter censorship in one way or another. In Thursday's release of the Twitter files, Weiss presented evidence that, among other things, Twitter had censored medical information surrounding the CCP virus. Meckler says this had severe consequences. Twitter is responsible for the deaths of a lot of people. They suppressed good medical information. Uh, they suppressed information, for example, about hydroxychloroquine uh, and about other remedies that potentially could have helped people to survive this disease. And as such, I would say they're responsible for a lot of deaths. This is a very evil thing we're seeing here. After this latest round of tweets, one user asked, were any political candidates, either in the U.S. or elsewhere, subject to shadow banning while they were running for office or seeking re-election? To which Musk replied, yes. So does that amount to election interference? I would call that actually an unreported in-kind contribution to a candidate. If you're able to remove a candidate from the the speaking sphere from the public square that actually benefits the opposition candidate. And I think you could argue effectively that's essentially a contribution to the opposing candidate. Some users are now saying Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey lied in a tweet back in 2018 when the company was accused of shadow banning certain accounts. Back then, Dorsey tweeted, we don't shadow ban and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints. Meanwhile, in other Twitter news, on Thursday, three members of the company's Trust and Safety Council quit, citing disagreement with Musk's definition of digital safety on the platform. And two women are suing Twitter. They say more women than men were let go during Musk's recent mass layoffs, which they call discriminatory. Reporting by Ariane Pazdar, NTD News. And former President Trump also responded to the information in the latest Twitter files. Here's what he posted on Truth Social earlier today. The Twitter releases are an, a revelation in that they show that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. What everyone is really waiting to see, however, is the Twitter information and thought process leading up to the time of the so-called election and ultimately deplatforming of the President of the United States. Big moment in history. And this just in, Twitter Files Part 3 dropped just moments before our show started. It covers the decisions that led to the removal of Trump from the platform spanning October 2020 and January 6, 2021. More details are to follow over the weekend and we'll keep you up to date on this developing story. And turning now to a nonprofit group that has identified two more police stations in U.S. cities with ties to China's communist regime. The newly identified sites are among more than 100 police outposts that are spread out across 53 nations. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. A nonprofit group has discovered 48 new overseas police stations worldwide with ties to China's communist regime, two of them in the U.S. Where? In Los Angeles and New York City. Safeguard Defenders, a nonprofit organization, reported the findings in a recent updated report. The update identifies 102 total stations internationally. The report found the regime began setting up the stations in 2016. The reason? The group's campaign director, Laura Harth, told CBC News the facilities are part of a transnational repression network. 
these stations have been established by at least four uh, local public security bureaus back in China, the four we identified, but building on a pre-existing network of United Front Work organizations. The United Front Work Organization is an agency in China that works to advance the regime's interests abroad. For example, they spread propaganda, conduct foreign influence operations, and help transfer technology to communist China. Harth claims the CCP is using these stations to surveil Chinese dissidents and force them to return to China for persecution. But she said the CCP's networks are also involved in other activities. A Chinese-American group in upstate New York is educating local residents on how the CCP is spreading its influence in U.S. communities. On Thursday, the Mount Hope Chinese Association hosted a panel discussion on the threat of the CCP. The panel explained the methods the CCP uses to infiltrate societies. College professor and former U.S. Army officer Sean Lin said the CCP is carrying out unrestricted warfare without guns. Uh, for example, in, in the chemical warfare, uh, you know about fentanyl, right? The, the China produces fentanyl, and then or sometimes the raw material for fentanyl and its derivatives and shipping to Mexico and then coming to the United States. Chris Chappell, host of YouTube show China Uncensored, explained the CCP's information warfare. They're trying to actively shape how Americans think about China. And they do this through tremendous control over American media and American big tech. He said 90 percent of U.S. media are owned by five companies, and those companies all have business interests in communist China. As for the overseas police stations, Safeguard Defenders reported that law enforcement agencies in 12 countries, including the U.S., have launched investigations. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. What if you were forced to leave your job for voicing a political stance? Well, a former CEO of a video game company has opened up about his experience after his pro-life tweet went viral. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. I've joked with some people that if I'd have known that my tweet was going to get 12 million views, I probably really would have put a little more time in the wording. John Gibson is the co-founder and former CEO of Tripwire Interactive. It's a major video game developing company, which makes games such as Killing Floor 2, as seen in this video. He said the work environment was amazing, but it turned upside down with just the click of a button. In September 2021, Gibson tweeted the following. Proud of the U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often. Yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. Soon after the tweet, a company that worked with Tripwire for over three years tweeted, we cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership structure. We will begin the cancellation of our existing contracts effective immediately. And then a group of staff at his own company refused to work with him again. Um, because of that, uh, I had to leave my role as CEO and eventually we had to sell the company because uh, the challenges of coming back uh, with some folks that didn't didn't want to work with someone with a different viewpoint than them, 
was more challenging than some of the other owners of the company wanted to deal with. But he explained that problems happened for other people as well. A certain game developer who was pro-abortion received death threats for his stance. I say, do talk about politics and religion. Uh, we are in a situation, a very, I believe, a very challenging time in our country where in the past, when things have gotten this difficult, it usually resulted in a war. You know, those, those questions were answered with bullets, bombs, and guns. And I think it's better if we talk about it. It's better if we have discourse. It's better if sides with very, very strong feelings and very challenging viewpoints can come together and, and find common ground or compromise uh, without hyperbole and rhetoric and violent threats and trying to push people out of their jobs. I don't think that's the right way to do it. Jason Perry, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a court battle over parental rights, blood transfusions, and the COVID-19 vaccine. The parents of a baby lose their medical custody because they don't want their son to get blood from vaccinated donors. And at the unpredictable World Cup, another stunning loss. See which heavily favored country went down on penalty kicks. That and more coming up. In New Zealand, the country's high court on Wednesday temporarily stripped the parents of a sick infant of their medical custody. This came after they refused to allow the baby to receive blood from donors who had received the COVID-19 vaccine. Their four-month-old son was diagnosed with a serious condition and needs open-heart surgery to allow blood to circulate properly throughout his body. The parents refused blood transfusions from vaccinated donors. They said they're concerned about blood that was, quote, tainted by the COVID vaccines. Over 20 unvaccinated donors were already standing by, ready to donate. But New Zealand's health system said it doesn't permit directed donations. The authorities also claimed the vaccines haven't caused any known harmful side effects with blood transfusions. Health authorities will have medical custody over the baby until he recovers from the surgery. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Brazil is out of the World Cup. The five-time champions lost to Croatia in a penalty shootout today in a surprising upset. The game was knotted at one after extra time, but Croatia converted their first four penalties to win four to two. With the win, Croatia advances to the semifinals, while heavily favored Brazil and superstar forward Neymar are out of the tournament. Neymar did manage to tie the great Pele, though, with his 77th career international goal for the most in Brazil's storied history. The goal came at the end of the first half of extra time to temporarily give his team the lead. But Croatia struck back in the 117th minute to send the game to penalty kicks. And in college football news, USC star quarterback Caleb Williams picked up some hardware Thursday, winning not only the AP's Player of the Year, but also the Walter Camp Player of the Year award. 
Williams, who transferred from Oklahoma along with head coach Lincoln Riley, led a resurgent USC team to an 11-2 record while throwing for more than 4,000 yards and leading the country with 37 touchdown passes. Now, neither award is as big as the Heisman Trophy, but they're a strong indicator of who will win. Williams, along with Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, TCU quarterback Max Dugan, and Georgia's quarterback Stetson Bennett are the four finalists. The winner will be announced Saturday night. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 10 NBA games are on tap, including a matchup between the top two teams in the Western Conference as the New Orleans Pelicans host the Phoenix Suns. And for you hockey fans, the NHL also has a 10-game slate prepared featuring the Buffalo Sabres and center Tage Thompson, fresh off his five-goal performance against Columbus, hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.